Welcome to the Post Talk Live podcast, where we host live salon gatherings for curious people around the world. Hosted by me, Susan McTavish Best. Today, we are going to be speaking to Erica Solomon. She's an investigative reporter at the Financial Times, and she wrote an article this weekend um, in the paper that caught my eye and has been a topic that I've been wanting to talk about, and that is how are drug dealers adapting to the new market as a result of the pandemic. And she's based in Berlin and wrote the article about the drug dealers in Berlin and how they're adapting. Berlin, of course, is known for having a very fun rave and dance culture there where folks go out a lot and they certainly get a lot of tourists who wanna go out there. Um, so I thought we would chat with her and she could tell us what's going on there. Has the, has the rave moved to the living room, Erica? Uh, yeah, actually underneath my apartment <laughs> uh, many days. Um, yeah, I actually live in this neighborhood that's kind of famous for its clubbing scene and um, which is, sorry, it's called Friedrichshain and it's, okay. right in the, it's right next to, or actually it's the same neighborhood that hosts uh, Bergheim, which is kind of like the world famous techno club. Okay. Um, Thankfully, I can never hear the parties there, but um, but yeah, so I guess a lot of the people who live in the area are generally the type who go to these clubs a lot. And uh, I started, it's actually what gave me the idea for the story. I started noticing that as the lockdown got more and more strict that like more and more of my young neighbors were playing music and I would wake up at <laughs> nine in the morning to start my work day and they'd be like, dush, dush, dush. Right. <laughs> What are people doing? And so, yeah, that was my inspiration. My my lovely, um, yeah, all my raving neighbors. How did you go about doing the initial reporting? Did you well, ask friends or how did yeah, that? Yeah, friends. I mean, basically, if you live in Berlin, you know people who are here to sure. be in that scene. I mean, there are people who devote their lives to living in the partying scene of of Berlin. So mm -hmm. it wasn't actually that tricky to. I was actually surprised though at how the. So I used to live in Lebanon and I wrote a lot about the um, cannabis industry there. And that took like a long time to get sort of people to be willing to talk to me or to find the right people. But um, I just asked friends who are in the partying scene and I thought for sure it was going to be extremely difficult, but they were all extremely excited to talk about their business. Okay. And um, so friendly actually that um, my editor cut some of the things that I had written because he was like, this just doesn't sound like drug dealers. Um, so like one example is that one of the people I spoke to who kind of likes to curate for, he has like what he calls like a curated customer base of like about 50 people and it takes like a lot of uh, recommendations and stuff to be one of his customers. And he like- To get on his list. Yeah. And so he'll like, um, you know, he'll come up with like what you should take, but what kind of experience you want throughout the night or whatever. Okay. And uh, when I asked him, I was like, so what's the biggest change for you now? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was going to be something business related. He's like, I can't hug my customers anymore. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, which I, I was like, I, and I was like, kind of thought he was joking. And then he was like, I mean, it's not just because like I like them. It's also because it's like good business to like hug people. So no one's suspicious of you <laughs> when you're walking around. So it's amazing. Yeah. Now, how is he? Um, so, how is someone like this fellow or woman? Um, how are they uh, delivering the drugs to their clientele? So, um, one thing that I learned is that they always, uh, most of the serious 
dealers uh, who are like making their own stuff or curating in this kind of sense, sure. they always use gloves because they don't want to have their fingerprints found. Okay. So they told me that they've been um, sending notes. Like, so there are these different um, secret Telegram channels or sometimes uh, WhatsApp channels uh, where they keep in touch with their customer base. And this was something that was happening before uh, sure. Corona, but sure. now um, and they'll like and they they'll like advertise on it. So like they'll put out a list of like, here's our specials for the week or whatever. Uh, and then when I, uh, when I started like talking to people and they were like showing me the ads that they were getting um, during Corona, you know, there was like Corona specials, like Corona chocolate edibles, this kind of stuff um, for the people who uh, are afraid of like smoking, you know, they don't want to hurt their lungs or whatever. Not a good um, time for smoking, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, where was I? Um, so, yeah, so then they also started putting up safety warnings. So they would say, like, just so you know, like, this is how we pack our drugs. Okay. Um, we always use gloves for every single package. So they were, like, very – there was also this element of, like, really wanting to assure people that, like, the um, the drugs were, you know, were being safely handled. But I should mention this is, like, this is, like one part of the drug-dealing world. This is, like, the, the curated part. This is for the people who are, like – intense you know tripping like they're doing like a combination of drugs or partiers and they they generally have money there's also an element of drug dealing which you could find anywhere including in berlin which is like out in the parks it's usually run by gang mafia type crews um, and these guys are um there's no kind of like sense of like oh we're trying to assure our customers you know these are you know but even those guys i went out to some of the parks where you know they're known to be hanging around to chat with some of them and um a lot of them had just chosen themselves to wear gloves and masks because they were okay. they worried about their own health <laughs> so so yeah and and um, when you write i think we wrote about the police were on one side of the park and the drug oh, yeah. were still on the other so like, but that's you know, always the situation probably there yeah, um, the funny thing was that like um, the when I was when I went to this this park, it's famous. It's called Görlitzer Park, and it's famous as well for for dealing. And um, you usually see the cops on one part of the uh, park. Um, but the funny thing was like e even like the police, like they had all this equipment on, like they're trying to be very careful or whatever. And there was tons of them. I had never seen that many police, and I thought, oh, I'm. For sure, I'm not going to find any dealers here today. And then I walked just to the other end of the park, and there was like packed like 30, 40 of them. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. so um, I guess on the because it's probably a little harder with on the street folks, but maybe you spoke to them, the the, mm -hmm. the dealers in the park. But for the ones that are with a highly curated um, uh, client list of clientele. Are are the the folks that are you know staying at home and and um, buying drugs, the curated curated list folks, are they buying more and stockpiling? And are they buying uh, different drugs than they might otherwise? Would things like cocaine be less um, popular now and like pot, which I don't know whether it's legal or not in Berlin, but um, <laughs> more popular. Um, so are more drugs being sold? Is there stockpiling and what are they buying? So I had expected that people's behaviors would be changing, that people would maybe, you know, I've, I had read a couple other articles in other places. Um, I also spoke to a lot of trafficking experts as well to get kind of a perspective. Okay, yeah, I want to get to that about the um, And so, but I was very curious as well, like, do people change their habits? But overall, what I was told is that no, but the thing that was really amazing was just the bulk that people were buying it. I mean, I spoke to this one woman who is like another one of these curated dealers just in different types of cannabis. 
and she told me that um, you know she, her orders she had like she was able to raise her prices from ten euros a gram um, to thirty, and another um, dealer in like more like party drugs told me that you know he'd gotten the biggest order of his life in one like go, which was wow. fifteen hundred euros, and basically almost all of his orders had um, almost doubled or tripled in a lot of cases. So I mean just. People are, I mean, like this woman even said, like, you know, people are panicking. They want to make sure that they have like file for however long they're going to be at home and apparently party from home. Although actually, interestingly, they're not just partying at home. And unfortunately, um, there is a big problem with like uh, secret parties. Um, I've never been invited to any of them, but <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm, I've been made to understand that um, they do happen in like abandoned warehouses or even like Airbnbs and stuff. Um, and they'll like set up like this elaborate network of lookouts for cops and stuff. And um, how do they do the inviting? Are they doing it like through secret Instagram? Secret telegram, secret telegram, that kind of a thing. I mean, okay. I suppose maybe some are using other apps, but the ones I had heard about were on telegram. Okay. And, um, and, the, and the, the, what you have to pay to get in is, is much higher. Than, I mean, Berlin is a re relatively affordable city, um, but people were paying like, uh, I heard uh, one of the parties that I had learned about was like 40 euro a person, someone up to 100. And this is a thing that usually costs you like 10 or 15. Yeah, those prices are never going to go down after. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, those prices are going to stick there when, when people can go back out again, because why would they go back down, right? Maybe. Well, I don't and a lot of the clubs are really worried about the, their survival after, sure. after this uh, crisis. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of young Berliners see clubbing as like a cultural thing in, in yeah. Berlin, not just a like a, a fun thing. And the, and, the, and the clubbing culture is, uh, uh, you know, quite different from other cities. Well, I mean, it's from the 20s, too. It's from, like, yeah. the public. I mean, it, it has a long history, a 100-year history of these sort of underground parties there. You know? Yeah. And so there is a lot of concern that um, some of these clubs won't make it after this, after the economic crisis that everyone expects will, will hit the world after the corona pandemic. Mm. And so how is uh, the supply chain affected? Right. So um, the supplies are so most of like Morocco, for example, is like the biggest producer of cannabis. Through Spain. Yeah, a lot of it will go through Spain, um, Lebanon, which is about usually considered the third biggest uh, cannabis producer. And I think Afghanistan, obviously, a lot of opium and cannabis as well comes from there. So these places like um, usually uh, drug dealers or these are usually producers like they'll have several different um, outlets for how they how they get their supply out because i mean this is something you know the reason why i thought it was interesting is like because they're already doing something illegal right <laughs> so it's and not they're very like, yeah they're yeah. really used to adapting super yeah. quickly to different market conditions a couple of years ago um I did a salon in San Francisco. A friend of mine at NPR mm. was doing a series on um, where the most interesting technology is happening. Mm. And like, it probably isn't necessarily happening inside Google or Facebook, but probably with criminals and artists. And mm. that was sort of my thinking of this, is that criminals are always like, they're so quick at adapting. Yeah, and so one of the experts that I spoke to, so she, uh, who's at Brookings Institute, and she was all she actually said that she thinks this, that will be the long term the biggest impact of Corona on um, the drug dealing business. So, or the, I should say the drug trafficking business, because um, already you know, especially like the big cartels and stuff in Latin America had been using a lot of drones. I hadn't realized this, but the the drone the problem they have with drones is that they can only go so far and they can only carry so much 
product. Um, and they, oh. they've also even used submarines. So I didn't know this, but they're called narco subs and they okay. like take stuff, uh, you know, underwater. Um, and so she anticipated, you know, one of the things is that obviously a lot of people are talking about whether legitimate businesses will also be doing the same thing um, because delivery is obviously a fraught thing in a time of a pandemic. And so, um, I mean, she was anticipating that that just as legal businesses are going to be accelerating um, their development of this type of uh, artificial intelligence or autom you know, automated uh, drones and so on, that drug dealers are going to be doing the same. And so like they're going to suddenly see this as like an opportunity or, or like just being pressed into this direction. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that really will be affected is like a lot of it is obviously done on a normal aircraft, like a commercial airline. Right. That's pro most people expect that to be completely cut. And a lot of it is going to have to shift to ships and um, and basically any type of legitimate trade that can still be going on now is where drug dealers are going to turn. So medical supplies so seem to be something that might be really big right now. Yeah, so one of the, I spoke to a, uh, a trafficker in Lebanon who deals with uh, hashish, and he was saying that he anticipated that medical supplies would become one. Um, but I, I heard, you know, I've also heard like cars. I don't know how much cars are going to be sold right now, but that's that's actually traditionally a very common way to uh, hide drugs is in like cars. You can just oh. like pack them inside the sides of the doors and so on. I, I don't know, but I've heard. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so I, I get. So basically, they're just going to be looking for any type of like legitimate um, outlet for trade that is that is being allowed to function now is going to probably be targeted by people who are trying to move drugs into you know centers of commercial. Uh, well, I guess wide scale use like in the U.S. or Europe. Um, did you did you look at anything on the, on the dark web at all? So I, I didn't, I didn't even know that drug dealing happened on the dark web, to be quite honest, but one of the dealers that, I mean, I guess you would expect, but um, one of the dealers that I spoke to told me that actually he thought an that's another development that is going to really make um, adjusting to this pandemic different than it would have been previously, because now what you can do, I think this is especially uh, with cocaine, um, what you can do now is you can basically post large so packages of cocaine from an unknown address to an unknown address. And this can all be arranged on the dark net. And so this is expected to be another way that uh, dealers or traffickers will, will manage to adapt. I wonder if you could mail it and have a drone pick it up at the other end. Eventually, I'm sure. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, this one expert I was talking to was saying that at some point, you know, like it could be delivered to your window. So, so right, right, right. That's the future of drug dealing. Probably is already being. probably has. Yeah, they wow. also apparently like do like have like wars. So like uh, people who like follow this stuff from the legal side, um, uh, they say that like uh, you know they've actually seen like drone wars between different drug dealers. Like some buddies will try and steal the supply or knock wow. out. Yeah. So it's like a yeah, yeah it's like a full scale thing. Yeah. <laughs> That would be great. Next time. <laughs> Get some video footage on that. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> um, and, and did you hear from any of the drug dealers any sort of moral stance in terms of, I mean, this has to do more with the dark web, like mm -hmm. uh, with website, you know, websites on the dark web uh, uh, selling masks, you know, face masks for too much money. Mm -hmm. um, with, I wondered if you'd heard of any any drug dealers sort of taking a moral stance on on. Uh, that sort of thing at all. Yeah, no, nobody, um, 
nobody mentioned any moral uh, qualms with using the dark net. I mean, I actually, I mean, in other conversations I've had with sources for other articles about the dark net, I was surprised at how many people feel like, oh, the legitimate uses for the, I mean, not <laughs> the drug trafficking cocaine is the legitimate use, but there's a lot of people who defend the dark net. So I think a lot of the type of people who are using this, who already have like a, a different view on uh, buying and selling drugs, like this wouldn't be something that, they would uh, have a problem with. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. One one final question. I I would imagine you know if I don't know how long people are going to be stuck inside in Berlin, but people's incomes have gone down. And did I, I guess the drug dealers wouldn't tell you this, but I wonder if you heard this anecdotally. Um, if the drugs are being cut now with with other crap, so you, so that the clientele don't really know what they're getting. Yeah, and this is why so many people who are into this scene want to get to those uh, curated uh, okay. dealers because you, the idea is that the trust level is higher. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, the street dealers I spoke to said that it was going to get cut. Like They weren't even hiding the fact that this yeah. was going to happen. Um, you know, one of the guys we were asking who said that he uh, sold cocaine said, yeah, like it's going to, the quality is going to go down drastically. Um, but again, this really depends on, the thing with, with uh, like looking into drugs is that it's always extremely anecdotal. It really depends on who you know, like what day you're there. Um, all the markets are different and it just depends. Like, you know, there was actually, right before I published the article, there was um, a report out of Belgium of like a huge increase in drugs coming in through the airport. And I had like asked um, somebody from the Global Institute uh, like for researching tra uh, trans or transnational organized crime about this, these shipments to Belgium and they were saying it's too anecdotal like everywhere you have these traffickers are trying to figure out where's the loophole where where am I going to be getting stuff in and so you know you could have like as in the case with Belgium uh, two weeks ago a huge sudden influx of a lot of probably high quality cocaine okay. and that could affect the price and the quality there but in another place it could be totally different and so they said like it will take us months to really understand um, how this all plays out. But one funny thing that the dealers told me was that they're going to definitely play with the prices. So like even they just okay. because they know psychologically that people are aware of what's going sure. on, like why wouldn't you raise the price? <laughs> so it's funny because the, the reports out of the UK, <clears throat> pardon me, I think over the last week or so, maybe two weeks ago, was that um, once people were, you know, stuck at home, that actually the prices of the drugs really dropped. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, the, now they're probably going up, but, uh, and the drugs, the drug dealers are like cutting their prices in half because um, they were panicked that they were going to be left with too much. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, most people here that I spoke to were culture there a little bit too. It's, I mean, it's still yeah. a culture, but not in the way that it is in Berlin, of course. Yeah, I mean, most people were worried about supply cuts, and um, and so like uh, you know, uh, you know, some people told me that they were planning to raise their prices because they were very concerned that their supplies would be affected for a long period of time, and others told me that um, well, I have my stockpile, I'm not going to change my prices. My loyalty customer base is more important to me. Again, totally anecdotal, uh, totally depending on their business strategy, basically, and what they think is going to carry them through longer. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, have you seen any benefit in your personal life in terms of uh, staying at home more? Anything cheery to tell us? More cooking, more time, a friend, more <laughs> reading? 
Um, I've been, I think I've been staying in touch with people more, you know, because uh, I, I'm American, but I, I live abroad. And so normally I'm too caught up in whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, sure. So now I've been taking advantage more of all the technology that we have to, um, just yesterday we had a surprise party for my uncle on Zoom. <laughs> and, oh, uh, you know, yeah, so I'm um, so more in touch. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Erica. Oh, no, it was a pleasure. Oh, Erica's investigative reporter at the Financial Times talking about drug dealers and how they're adapting to the pandemic market. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Post Hoc Digital Salon with Susan McTavish-Best. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a great review. It really does make a difference. If you don't already, please make sure to follow us on social media. That's at McTavish Best on both Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for attending our digital salon.